0: Let's turn in our Bible to the second epistle of John. The second epistle of John. If you go to the back of the Bible, go to Revelation, go to Jude, you'll come to third John, and you'll come to second John. The second epistle of John, 13 verses, we'll read the epistle Together. Second Epistle of John. Trust you found the place. Let's hear the word of the Lord now. Follow carefully and closely. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only. But also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, Lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Amen. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this evening is taken from second epistle of John. And I want us to think of verses 9 to 11. The text reads, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed, for he that bid him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. And I want us to think tonight of the necessity of defending the doctrine of Christ. Now, Second John is the shortest book in our English Bible. It is only one chapter, 13 verses in the English, 245 words in the Greek. It's a very personal letter with a very practical purpose. It was written 40 or 50 years after the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ by the Apostle John, who described himself as the elder. He's an aged man. And it was written to a nun named local lady that John knew, whose house I believe was being used as a meeting place for the local church. And it was really written to warn her and her children and the people of God associated with that building about the efforts of certain false teachers who were doing some door-to-door work, who were bound to pay her a visit, who were going to come to her with another alternative to the doctrine of Christ. You see, these false teachers, these antichrists, as John called them, had split from the main body of the church sometime beforehand. And John was conscious that they had split from the main body of the church over the issue of the person and work of Christ. This secessionist group were anxious to win converts from individual local churches in the area. Perhaps this second letter was written in a response to a query from this elect lady, or or perhaps written in a response to a letter from this elect lady to John on how best to respond to these false teachers if they come to her door. Does she show them hospitality, or does she display hostility toward them in light of the gospel, in light of her love for the truth? So here's John. The apostle of love. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to this elect lady. Let me just point out the word elect is an adjective. It's describing the lady. The word elect just means chosen here. This lady is unnamed. There's no need to speculate as to what her name really was. We believe and know that she had children. As the Bible tells us here Thy children Uh, She was a woman uh, with a house That was large enough for the church To meet in And we know that God had chosen her Her name, I just want to point out, wasn't Electra. There's some people like to play uh, with a bit of uh, theological uh, elasticity and use the word elect to mean Electra. Uh, Well, it's not Electra, it's just a a chosen lady, a a believer uh, with a large household uh, where the people of God met for worship, instruction and fellowship. I believe she was a real individual woman. And this woman also had a sister. And she also had children. And they were known to John. And she was also chosen of God. Listen to what he says in verse 13. The children of thine elect sister greet thee. Amen. Some, you see, think John was using a code word to refer to the local church using the word elect lady and elect sister. Now it's not settled. It's not really that important. Um, I believe it's literal. Others say it's uh, metaphorical. But that's not important. What matters is this, that John writes to her and rejoices in her fidelity to the truth of the gospel. And that's what he mentions in verses 1 to 4 of the letter. And if you read it carefully, you discover that there's five references to the word truth. And that became the focus of one of our studies in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago, I think it was in November. And we thought of the embodiment of the truth. We thought about the experience of the truth. God's people know it and live it out and walk in it. We thought about the expression of the truth, the uh True church is encouraged to reach out with the truth of the gospel. We thought about the enemies of the truth. Remember John says in verse 7 here, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an anti-christ." And John is keen to expose them. John is keen to set forth to this elect lady how to react to them if and when they knock on their door and ask for hospitality and want to have a discussion about the subject of Christ. John knows that she has shown fidelity to the truth in the past, that she holds on to the great truth of the gospel, and he wants to set forth to her now again the necessity of defending the doctrine of Christ. And that's what we're going to think about for the next 20 minutes. I want you to think about the acknowledgement of the doctrine of Christ. If you look at the text, it says, verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Notice the reference, the doctrine of Christ, twice. And then in verse 10, if there Come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. You see, the true believer acknowledges, agrees to, and embraces the truth about the doctrine of Christ. The true believer in Christ will always agree to and accept and hold forth the doctrine of Christ. And the difference with the false teacher, the difference with the deceiver and those that are anti-Christ in the world, they do not agree to and accept the truth about the doctrine of Christ. We could ask the question tonight to anyone, what think ye of Christ, whose son is he? Isn't that the acid test? The Lord Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You see, the truth is not something that's conjecture or speculative. It's not even to do with fables or wee stories. The Lord Jesus told Pilate that everyone who is off the truth heareth my voice and followeth me. Because remember, he is full of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of the truth of God. And here he is. John's underscoring for us the importance of the truth as it relates to the doctrine of Christ. Could I remind you as the people of God we're in a spiritual war. And the key battleground today In the 21st century Like the 1st century Is the doctrine of Christ And I want you to understand That Christ is not just a teacher of the truth He just didn't come teaching truthful things About God and heaven and hell The Lord Jesus himself Is the very embodiment of the truth He is the truth personified You see in this Spiritual war. It's the doctrine of Christ that is constantly and daily under attack. And we want to understand tonight that Christ is a real Savior. A redeeming Savior. A resurrected Savior. A reigning Savior. A right Savior. So the acid test is what do you think of Christ? Is he real? Is he a redeeming saviour? Is he a resurrected saviour? Is he reigning? Is he the right saviour? You see, if we ask the question tonight to these who are anti-Christ, they come knocking on our door and they want to speak to us about religious things. So we'd ask them the question, what think ye of Christ? Do they deny the doctrine of the Incarnation? You see, isn't that what John said? For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. There were those in the first century who belonged to the uh, Gnostic heresy. There was a group called uh, uh, the Gnostics. They they believed in Gnosticism, and part of that teaching was that the Lord Jesus didn't have a real physical um, bone and blood body. They believed that matter was evil, And therefore, anything that was fleshly was also evil. So the Lord Jesus couldn't have a real body. And they said, well, it just seemed as if he had a real flesh and blood body. But it wasn't a real flesh and blood body. And that was their philosophy. And from that human reasoning, then they presumed that he didn't come in the flesh. And of course, here's a heresy that's found towards the end of the first century in the Christian church. There was those who believed that Jesus Christ Didn't have a real flesh and blood body Now what Think ye of Christ If you turn over there To the first epistle Let's read those couple of verses 1 John chapter 1 That which was from the beginning Which we have heard, which we have seen With our eyes, which we have looked upon And our hands have handled of the word of life Do you see what John is saying here We heard him With our own ears. We have seen him with our own eyes. We have handled him with our own hands. We have seen and heard and handled the word of life. And then he tells us in verse 2 for the life was manifested. That is made known And we have seen it and bear witness And show unto you that eternal life Which was with the Father And was manifested unto us See this attack Denying that Jesus Christ Had a real flesh and blood body That this was an attack On the real true humanity of Christ This was an attack On the doctrine of his incarnation This was an attack in the second person of the Godhead. If Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, then who is he? Let them speak. A good man, a gracious man, a great man. But he's not the God man. But the Bible says, great is the mystery of God, and as God was manifest in the flesh. There's nine references in the New Testament that teaches uh, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And if he's not the incarnate one, with a real true flesh and blood body Then he couldn't have been a perfect sacrifice for sin You see, you see how one doctrine impacts on the other This doctrine of the incarnation Impacts upon his sinless life It impacts on the doctrine of his blood atonement. If he didn't have a real body, he couldn't live a real sinless life on our behalf in that body. If he didn't have a real body and lived a sinless life on our behalf in that body, then he couldn't have died really an atoning death in that body on the tree. And yet the Bible tells us Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. You see, these false Teachers, they are substituting the biblical Christ for a false Christ. They're presenting another Christ, not the Christ of the Bible. And, and it impacts not only in the vicarious death of Christ, but on his victorious resurrection. Because if he didn't die uh, in a real, true, flesh and blood body, then he didn't bodily rise again from the dead. In other words, he didn't have a bodily resurrection. Do you see the connection? See, the incarnation, it's necessary for Christ to live a sinless life in a human body so they could go to the cross and bleed and die for our sins and offer himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin, have an atoning death, and as for death to be accepted, he needed to die in a real flesh and blood body so the tomb could be empty. You see, all that these deniers were saying about Christ was contradicting the Bible. Because the Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this um, word, it's because there's no light in them. And old John knew this. And he knew that they would try to break the connection between Christ and his people. He knew that they wanted to drive a wedge in. He knew the devil hates the doctrine of the incarnation and will do all that he can to destroy it and use every trick at his disposal. They also denied the office of Christ. Look there at 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. It says this Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Now the word for Christ is Christos in the Greek, and it means the anointed one. Jesus Christ is God's anointed prophet who teaches and tells us the way of salvation. God's anointed priest to offer himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin to be the sacrifice as well as the priest. And also anointed as king to subdue all our enemies in his. And, and there was those who said in John's day that Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the promised Messiah. He's not the saviour of the world. He, he's not God's prophet, priest and king. He is not there for the true mediator between God and his people. He doesn't stand between God and us. He doesn't hold this office. But if he's not the true mediator, then he could offer no satisfactory blood atonement on our behalf. There'd be no bodily resurrection. There's no life of intercession. There's no doctrine of salvation. You see, once you reject his mediatorial office, You're rejecting and denying the doctrine of the work of Christ. What about those who deny the gospel of Christ? Turn over there to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. And remember what Paul wrote there to the church at Galata. See, all this is connected. In Galatians 1, we read verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The word "another" means something different, which is not another. In other words, it's not the same one that I presented to you. But there would be there be some that trouble you, and notice these words, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you? Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul's saying here, if I come with a different message, if an angel comes and brings another gospel to you, that angel is false. It's not another gospel. And and many in Galata had turned from the grace of God Back to the works of their own hands Turned from the blood atonement Turned to the rites and ceremonies again of the Jewish religion And and, and they, they, they were bringing themselves into bondage And those that were teaching them Were bringing in damnable heresies That were damning and destroying souls Remember what Peter was able to say But there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, notice the word privily, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They deny the authority of Christ, denying the Lord who bought them. Not only do they deny the blood atonement, but they deny that Christ has any rule or authority in their life. He'll not tell me what to do. He'll not tell me how to live. He's not my prophet. He's not my priest. He's not my king. I'm not under his rule. You see, here's these false teachers. And when we think of the acknowledgement of the doctrine of Christ, the true believer, he knows who he is. Knows what he is like. Knows what he has done. And they hold fast to this doctrine. And they continue And and they acknowledge this doctrine and they're they're acquainted with it. It's important to them. And and they advocate this doctrine. And here's this elect lady, and she's writing to John. And John's given her this advice. And what's his advice? His advice is clear Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Think secondly with men very quickly of the advancement of the doctrine of Christ. Listen to what John is saying. Whosoever transgresseth. And and that has to do with the doctrine of Christ. In other words, they're sinning against the doctrine of Christ by denying his incarnation, denying the office of, he's prophet, priest, and king, denying the uh, Lord who bought them, denying his authority, denying his blood atonement, denying his mediatorial work, denying the necessity of Christ and Christ alone as the God of all grace of saving the soul. That, that's what he's meaning here. Whosoever transgresseth, that means sins, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, Hath not God. That, that means he doesn't know God. That's an important principle. That means they're not saved. That means they're not truly born again. Now, now notice this. Notice what he says here. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and his Son. Not only is there an important principle here, but there's an important promise. Here's a statement of fact. These words should drop like sweet honey into your heart and mind. Those who abide in and live for the true advancement of the doctrine of Christ, well, they have a wonderful relationship with God the Father and with God the Son. And that relationship is life-changing and transforming. That relationship's inseparable. And not only have they got a relationship with the Father and Son, but they have fellowship with the Father and Son. They have access to the Father Through the Son And the Father and the Son Manifest their life To that individual That's where that eternal life comes in And they manifest their love To that individual And not only have we got a relationship With the Father and Son And a fellowship But we have a partnership With the Father and Son The Father works in us and through us. The Son works in us and through us. Now you think tonight of being one with the Father and one with the Son. Remember what um, John could say there um, in John 17 in that high priestly prayer. He says, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now here's the doctrine of our organic unity in Christ. One with the Father and one with the Son. We're in a relationship that involves a true fellowship, that includes a true partnership. One in the mystical union with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Well, well that's beyond our real true comprehension, isn't it? That's mind-blowing. Let me put it like this. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And if we abide and continue in the doctrine of Christ, the Lord is on your side. He is for us. He is with us. There's a sweet story told about Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and Hopeful were walking in the journey towards the celestial city, and as they journeyed on a certain part of the road, there's another man standing there, and Hopeful stopped to talk to him. You. you can just imagine the scene: two of you are walking up the Your Road, and there's a man standing at the side of the road, and one of you stops to talk to him. Well, well, Christian didn't; he just walked on. And Hopeful he talked to this man, and then he said to the man, "Well, join us. We're going to celestial city." You want to go to heaven too? Join with us. So that's what happened. And after a while, hopefully, he left the man's side and quickened his step and got up beside Christian, who was walking on in front. And he said to Christian, These words, Why are you not joining in? Why are you not having fellowship with this brother in Christ? Christian said, Well, I recognize him, he's from my hometown. His name is Mr. Talkative, and that's all he does, is he talks, and he talks. He talks a good talk. He's a know-all in every subject under the sun, prophecy, mysteries, even the majesty of God. But you asked him for the evidence if he's in Christ. Asked him the time he got saved. Asked him when he became a new creature in Christ. Do you know Hopeful went back, he talked to Mr. Togative, he asked him if he was in Christ, he asked him when he got saved, he, he asked him what impact Christ had in his life, and where was the evidence that he had experienced the love and the life of God in his soul. And do you know what Mr. Togative said to Hopeful? You've now entered just a hook to divide us. And, of course, that was the end of the conversation. You see, it's easy for a person to say that they love Jesus Christ. But that love for Christ is not only shared, in a sense, via the mouth, but it's seen in the life. There's an evidence. If a husband said to his wife, I love you, dear. You're the one for me. I have eyes for nobody else and then left his wife and went off with another woman, well, you would say, well, that was a twisted and perverted love. Or a wife did that to a husband. You see, you could say with that husband or wife, well, you know what? They're not speaking the truth. It's not true love. It's a lust And if we have a love for the souls of men, and a love for the Savior, and a love for the saints, we'll also have a love for the scriptures. And love and truth go hand in hand. Look at, I have to finish it, look at the second epistle of John, look at verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Notice these words, now underline them, in love, in truth and love. Do you get the connection? You see, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love rejoices in the truth. Love and truth are not opposites. Where you have one, you have the other. They go together. And if they rejoice in the truth of the book, especially what the book teaches about Christ, then we want to rejoice with that individual. But if they reject the truth of the book, especially about Christ, we want to reject them. We can have no fellowship with them. We can have no real, deep, lasting friendship with them. We can't have fellowship with anyone that says things about God that are not true or says things about the Bible that are not true or the doctrine of salvation. There's many, you see, it's a a different God. It's a different Christ. It's a different gospel. And if someone says, but I don't accept what the Bible says about Christ, then, then we can't have a real, true fellowship and friendship with them. Because true biblical love always rejoices in the truth. Doesn't the Bible tell us to speak the truth in love that impacts on our evangelization, that impacts on our education of others, that impacts upon our exhortation and encouragement of people? You see, real love is bound up in the truth, and the truth is bound up in real love. Remember what John says in 1 John 3 and verse 16. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his love for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. One impacts upon the other. Real truth is not without love and real love is not without truth. Because real truth produces true love. And if we love Jesus Christ, we will love the truth. Love and truth go together. And the believer is one who knows and loves the truth. And you can't separate the two. See, the ecumenical movement tells us that all we need is love. The sad thing is that many in the ecumenical movement want nothing to do with truth. They don't want the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of Christ, the blood atonement, Work of salvation It's all couched in language That's devoid of meaning and reality And When you begin to scratch underneath the surface You can see that this is love without truth That's what I mean about the advancement of the doctrine of Christ Now, now let me say this in finishing Just bear with me for a moment The accompaniment of the doctrine of Christ You see the doctrine of Christ involves The biblical doctrine of separation We're commanded by God to separate from apostasy 2 Corinthians six fourteen and 17 John urges us in 1 John 4 and 1 to Believe not every spirit that try the spirits, whether they have God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's where it starts, the mystery of the incarnation. God manifest in the flesh. Paul exhorted the church at Rome to mark them that cause division. He said to the church at Ephesus, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He advised Timothy to to withdraw from those that walk disorderly. You see, this woman was asking John, am I being unloving and unkind if I don't give hospitality to these false teachers? And John's argument is this, if a false teacher comes to you to share the gospel, and you ask him, what think ye of Christ? Christ? And if he comes to you in Christ's name, if he comes as a a, a denier of Christ's gospel, then refuse him. Don't condone him. Don't bring him into your house. Don't, Don't bid him welcome. Don't treat him as a brother. Don't say you'll pray for him. Don't help him. Don't support him. Don't bless him. Don't be in their company. Don't sit down under his ministry and begin to tolerate false doctrine. Don't wish them well and Godspeed and say the Lord bless you. Don't be guilty by association because that's a grievous sin before the Lord. Don't cooperate with them. Don't help them. Don't give them money. Don't endorse their ministry. Why? Because it'll undermine the gospel. You see, it's not okay to believe and teach something other than the doctrine of Christ. And, and to do so was not only undermines the gospel, but it helps the devil to sow confusion among God's people. And that's what's happening today in the Roman Catholic Church, in the liberal and the modernist church, and the ecumenical movement. Many have not a clue as to the doctrine of Christ. John says to this woman, "Don't lower your guard," and he also says, "This don't fail to challenge. Remember, not." Everyone that professes to be in Christ is actually in Christ. We don't all have the same Father. We've not all the same Savior. We're not all born of the one Spirit. We need to learn how to love and live the truth. And that's the accompaniment to the doctrine of Christ. And it's my prayer that in the Free Presbyterian Church, that we'll rediscover in a very real way to acknowledge the true doctrine of Christ and we live to advance this and that we will accompany that by the choices that we make to the glory of God may the Lord bless you this evening thank you for coming and thank you for listening